love it when you say good morning back. Thank you. If we could have our first slide, Sue. Fantastic. I'll try not to move too far out of the way. I'm sure you recognize the story. We've had it alluded to many times. I'm sure you have heard it so many times. So have I. Or at least I thought so when I started preparing for this sermon. This is the second in a six-part series. Remember two weeks ago, Bishop John started to tell us about how the Hebrew slaves grew and multiplied, and this became a problem. I want to ask you a first question this morning. What circumstances are you in? Do we say, oh, I'm fine, and then say, if only you knew what I was actually going through. You remember from our readings that the Hebrew population at that time are in serious problems. A little bit before Peter read to us in Exodus 1, we read, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, interesting, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. Moses is in danger. Because it was not an easy time to get pregnant. Yes? How would you have felt if you were Amram? Who's Amram, you say? Moses' dad. How would you felt if you were Jochebed? His mom, I'm pregnant. I've already got two kids. They were Aaron and Miriam. I'm pregnant again. Oh, crumbs. What's going to happen? All of the natural feelings of, oh, I'm having a baby. Oh, crumbs. What if it's a boy? In many cultures, that would have been a source of joy to have a son. But here, no, not at all. What did we read? that for three months after he was born, they hid him. Elizabeth, how would you hide a three-month baby? <laughs> She'd go, darling, just shh, forever. No, it's a natural thing for a baby to scream the place down. So how did they possibly hide this child for three months? Extremely difficult. But there is still this problem. If somebody finds this child, he is in mortal danger. Shipra and Pua, the midwives, remember, we have the first instance of civil disobedience in scripture. Yes? I've been told something and I am not doing it. Oh, they made up this lovely story. The, the women are vigorous in childbirth. Um, I'm not sure that is the word I would actually use about childbirth. Screaming the place down? Yes, I'm leaving now in the middle of labor. Yeah, vigorous? Mm, maybe not. But it was an excuse. And it certainly wasn't going to be on their heads to kill the babies. So what does Pharaoh do? He issues a second edict. And this is extraordinary. Pharaoh gave this order to all his people 
every boy that is born, you must... What? Throw into the Nile. Do you know, I've never spotted that before. I got it in my head they were supposed to kill the babies, but how? They throw them in the Nile. So where does Jochebed put Moses to keep him safe? In the... Oh! Had you spotted that one before? Now, are the children all out? Okay. If you're going to throw babies in a river with the intention of drowning them, the chances are the Nile is full of dead babies, and I heard somebody say crocodiles. Oh, great. Where does she put him? In the Nile. Is Moses in danger from his own mom? Oh, this is weird. She's desperate. And when I ask you what circumstances are you in, I wonder if life has ever thrown you a curveball. Do you know what a curveball is? It's a baseball term where the pitcher, suppose we would throw it the thrower, throws the ball with so much spin on it, you have no way of knowing if it's coming at you, going that way, over your head. Where? Does life throw you a curveball? I knew where I was going, and then suddenly, whoa! That is exactly how Jochebed felt. Life threw her a curveball. But what is our reaction when that happens? Do we think that God intentionally and deliberately throws us a curveball? Go on then, try that. Oh, no, 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 we're far too spiritual. We would never think that about God. <laughs> I have. I have sometimes said, God, what are you doing? And maybe in a very quiet inner part of me, I will say to God, what are you playing at? Yeah, I see a few grins. Nobody's going to put their hand up. But yeah, that's how we think, don't we? I have so much going wrong, and you give me that as well? God, what are you doing? Let me tell you, God is not a God of spite. He does nothing from spite. But he will stretch you. And he will use circumstances to stretch your faith and your confidence in him. But he will always protect you in it. Do you believe that? Yes, he could protect a baby in a river full of dead babies and crocodiles. I promise you, he can protect you. Sue, could we have the clip, please, the video clip? I want you to watch this. Why didn't you say no? You didn't think of it. Here, throw. Mm. Thank you, Sue. Could we have the next slide, please? You may recognize Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments film. A little bit Hollywoodized, um, but there are some bits that are worth noting. First of all, did you notice how fast that basket sank? Yes? Very quickly. So when Moses needed to be safe, there was a huge danger. But the question is, Moses is delivered. 
Yeah, really. Bithia, historically the princess who brought him out of the water. Out of the frying pan. <laughs> He's come out of the Nile, yeah, but where is he? In an Egyptian palace, who are the sworn enemies of the Hebrews. It may not have seemed like deliverance to Miriam, or even to the baby. How many of you have asked God to deliver you, and he put you in a situation and thought, I didn't mean like that. He's just arrived in the very center of the enemy palace. What does Psalm 23 say? You prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I probably wouldn't intentionally walk into the presence of my enemies, but sometimes we find ourselves in danger. And can we rely on God to keep us safe? Absolutely. Do you ever feel like this? Do you like when I ask, can my day get any worse? It was a rhetorical question, not a challenge. <laughs> and I sometimes think, did Jochebed realize when Miriam told her, is that better or worse? I'm not really sure. Let me tell you, you are safe. Not because of the absence of danger, but because of the presence of God. Let me say that again. You are safe, not because of the absence of danger, but because of the presence of God. He is in danger, but he's been delivered from it. Right at the end, Bithya says, I will call his name Moses. Notice, Jochebed had not named that child. The princess got to name the child. And she called him Moses. Names are fascinating. John's means God is gracious. When we had our children, we deliberately chose names that we felt were very meaningful. Christopher, the bearer of Christ. Andrew Philip is our second son. Two great evangelists. We're very conscious of that. My name, oh my name, my full name is Patricia. If I'm ever called Patricia, I am in big trouble. My mother used to, as only the Welsh can, draw it out over. Patricia, several syllables and three octaves. <laughs> Patricia is Roman, comes from a group of people in Roman times who were the top ruling class, the Patricians. Therefore, my name means nobility. Obvious, isn't it? Obvious. You may have names on your birth certificate, but I wonder what names you have been called. Oh, it's gone terribly quiet. As a child, I heard this little refrain, sticks and stones may break my bones, but... Names will never hurt me. Not true. Names stick deep in your consciousness, deep in your spirit. And every now and again, if you're feeling a little bit low, they will be dragged to the front. You think, yeah, that's what they said. That's what they said. We have to learn to live with a different framework. We sang this morning the song, Who You Say I Am. And there's a credible line, I am who you say I am. 
And sometimes I really felt as I was preparing this, it was important that some of you are still living with the cruel names that people have flung at you from their own agendas, nothing actually to do with you, and you still believe them. You're namely, what? Is it true? No. God names you something completely different. I've just chosen five. God named you his friend. Whoa, what do you do for your friends? What do you think he would do for his friends in John 15? His handiwork. I think the message calls it his masterpiece. His treasured possessions. See, I'm so grateful to Greg. Whenever he prays for me, I don't know if he does it all the time deliberately, he calls me God's delightful daughter. Oh, <laughs> I love that. God calls us his family and his beloved from song of song. What difference would it make to your life if you actually believe what God calls you? What confidence could you have in your life to say, I know I've been in danger, but God has delivered me and he's given me a new name. In fact, lots of new names. The princess called Moses meaning to draw out, literally to draw out of the water. True. It also has a deeper Hebrew meaning, and I love this. It also means one who is rescued. Now, Moses is the one rescued. He's destined to himself become a rescuer. Interesting. So we need to keep track of what God actually calls us. Last things I want to talk about. The development of Moses. Beautifully read for us by Tamar. Look at the, the last few verses. Moses was born and he was no ordinary child. I think most parents would look on their children at some point and think, oh, they're special. Odd moments and long, yeah, odd moments, they're very special. But Jochebed already had two children, but she knew this one was very special. Three months he's cared for. Look at that last verse. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and was what? Can you say that a little bit louder? Powerful in what? Whoever's going to be teaching you on the burning bush may need to remember that one. Interesting. Educated. Moses has now only delivered... But he is positioned by God to be educated and trained by some of the finest minds in the world at that time. Oh, I've had such fun looking at this. Let me just give you three. Astronomy. The Egyptians were leaders in astronomy. They believed that the world was round when everyone else thought it was flat. Way back. They had ways of doing mathematics that accurately... Now, we discover, we're able to discover the distance from the Earth to the Sun. No computers. They had the mathematics to do it. Extraordinary. Secondly, embalming. Yes? Mummification. Well, to do that requires a great deal of knowledge of science and chemistry. Nobody was doing it like they did it before. And as for the arts and crafts movement, 
the colors that they used on everything they did. You've only got to look at the Tomb of Tutankhamun. Our paint specialists now would give their eye teeth to know how they got those colors to last that well, even inside a pyramid. They're astonishing. And that's just three. They did all sorts of things. Josephus, a historian, tells us that Moses was also an accomplished general and strategic military leader. He fought against the Ethiopians. What? What is God doing? He's giving him skill after skill after skill. Is he doing the same with you? Putting you into positions where he's giving you bits of jigsaw puzzle pieces that come together in a skill set. Now, I am not saying you have to like the skills he's giving you. Because sometimes I go through things and think, Lord, I don't really want to be experienced in this, thank you very much. But God builds skill upon skill upon skill. Many years ago, I'd been made redundant as a PA. It came as a huge shock out of the blue. And I found myself in temping agencies, filling in forms. Spent two weeks as a legal secretary. Ugh! Hated it. Mainly because we had to charge for when a client phoned in. And I thought, what? I just do a humble secretary. And I thought, ugh! Two weeks later, I got a phone call. One of the temping agencies rang me up and said, can you do merged documents in Word? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay. I said, yeah. Oh, good. I thought, what was that all about? An hour later, she rang me up again. Are you absolutely sure you can do merged documents in Word? Yes? Okay, good. I got a job for you. Two days working with the Mid-Essex Mental Health Trust at their headquarters in Witton. My mind goes into overdrive and I think, oh, they've got thousands of addresses I need to type in endlessly. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to have two days of just typing addresses. A job is a job. I turn up. I said, I'm I've come to do this merge document. What merge document? The one I was asked twice if I knew how to do it. Oh, no, we don't need you to do that. That is our level of competence standard. Now, any of you who worked with word processing, I could have thought of a lot more complicated things to do than just that. I thought, okay, what is it you want me to do? And they gave me an A4 piece of paper, text on the top, text on the bottom, in the middle, a few graphics, basic geometric designs. We want you to recreate that in digital format. Can you do it? Yes. Okay, they gave me this sheet of paper. Um, you can use that computer there. I go off. Looking at my watch, think, this is taking a long time, blah, 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 blah. Did it. Spell check. Grammar check. Yep. Fine. I walk up to this lady who turns out to be the executive medical secretary to a vice president of the trust. I said, um, there you go. What do you mean, there you go, she said. I said, thank you. 
long flip. Have I done this so wrong? But um, I, I've done the document you asked me to do. In two hours. Yeah, I'm sorry it took me so long. <laughs> she looked at me and she said, I expected you to take that two days worth of work. What? Yet we've never had someone able to do that. And I thought, you haven't done nothing very far, have you? <laughs> okay. She said, two days we expected. I said, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I'm, okay, I'm here. What else do you want me to do? Come with me. She frog-marched me, literally, to personnel. And I'm standing there thinking, oh, crumbs, I've made such a big mistake. You ever been frog-marched somewhere? You think, I'm in trouble. And she said, you employ this girl now. I want her on our specialist bank now. Okay, now, um, come with me. And she gave me so much work in the rest of those two days. I was, ugh. But it was great. Good, I'm doing something. From that point, looking back, I realized that God had positioned me in something quite extraordinary. And he ended up, and this is, Please, no boast. I just want you to understand the process. I went virtually everywhere that the trust had for a couple of months at a time. I worked with geriatrics. I worked with the spectrum team at Chelmsford and Essex. I worked with the headquarters. I worked with the community drug and alcohol team. I was being used as a troubleshooter all around. At the time, I was just sitting there typing. No, I now find out that God had very special reasons. I ended up as medical secretary to a consultant psychiatrist at the Linden Centre. As a medical secretary, not as an inpatient. I want you to know. <laughs> I was not in there an acute psychiatric unit. And it was fascinating work. And that led directly to an interest in psychology, which led to me training to become a clinical counsellor for 17 years. If you would have told me I would become a clinical counsellor, I would never have believed you. I would certainly not have believed you when I'd been asked to do a merge document in Word. <laughs> but sometimes the initial path starts with a very small step. And God takes us in a really incredible way to give us a skill set. And your circumstances might be, I don't know how I ended up here. But God will have his reasons for taking you exactly where he wants you to be. Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish theologian. Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. We have to trust in that forward path of God that when you look back, you think, that's what that was about. What skills is God developing in you right now? I thought Elizabeth, that was brilliant this morning. Absolutely brilliant. Reminded me so much of Joseph. Do you remember? Cocky Joseph. Look, you're going to all bow down. And he ends up in prison thinking, I am so far away from that dream. And it might be that you're thinking, I can never figure a way 
back to where I think I need to be in order to take the next step. Let me tell you, in the prison, Joseph is one step away from the king. One conversation away. He didn't have to unscramble it all. God had already positioned him exactly where he needed to be. Do not undervalue your skills. Seek to grow and develop them. Because God always values them. Where has God positioned you? And do you recognize that he's doing this to equip and empower you to serve him? You might not like the circumstances, but trust that God knows what he's doing. Because you need to be willing to allow him to develop and use the skills. He'll show you at exactly the right time how he's going to use them. So develop them while you can. God is preparing you. Who? Me? Yes. You. Just like that. Like clay on a potter's wheel, he's doing everything out of love. You're in his hands. You are totally, totally safe. God does not play with our lives. Don't ever think, God, what are you playing at? He doesn't play with our lives. He plans with purpose. It's not for you to understand the whole plan yet. Just trust the one who's planning. Because every circumstance and experience, God intends to use to enable your service to him. Moses was in danger. God delivered him. Gave him a new name. And then ensured that his development was going to be exactly what was needed in a nation's future. Never underestimate what God does in your life. Amen.